Welcome to episode 26 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Andrew Coates. Let's go. I'm joined here today by Andrew Coates, fellow trainer from Edmonton, Canada. Um, he's a fitness writer. He's a podcaster as well. All around awesome guy. I think I'm going to stick to these smaller intros. They're much, uh, they're much easier to do. Just get right to it. Get right to the guest. And here we are. What's, Andrew, what's going on, Andrew? Hey, it's great. Just hanging out here with my cat, Ozzy. He's just curled up with me. And um, honestly, not a bad day, all things considered. That's awesome. Great to hear. Um, why don't we just get right into it? Go ahead and maybe introduce yourself for anyone who might not know you yet. Uh, okay. Um, well, I've been a personal trainer um, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada for the last 10 and a half years. I'm originally from the East Coast of Canada, an island called Newfoundland, if anyone's familiar with that smaller, more rural area, I suppose. But um, yeah, I've been in Edmonton for maybe about 15 years now. And through my career, I've had a lot of good fortune and been really busy the entire time. And after spending six years at a commercial gym, I left to go private contract at a friend of mine's facility, which has now grown into multiple facilities called Evolve Strength. It's been really good. And that opened the door to other things that I maybe never would have imagined, like doing a podcast at first with a good friend of mine. And then when he had to stop to have his, his baby, then uh, I took it over solo, renamed, rebranded it, pulled it into, you know, kind of my brand umbrella of things. And that's been a lot of fun talking to industry, you know, who's who uh, of the fitness industry. And then along the way, got more serious about writing, really enjoyed it, had my own website developed. It, it's currently now in redevelopment. So there's a new one to be launched soon. But that led to opportunities to, you know, I was asked to write for T-Nation, which is something I've read for years. And then that opened further doors to writing for the P2DC. I just got off a call with the, with one of the editors there for something new I'm working on, uh, Generation Iron. And then there's some other things that haven't come to fruition yet, but obviously will. And then along the way, me and Dean Somerset got together. He's also here in Edmonton, along with uh, you know the, the gym that we contract from, Evolve Strength, to put on a fitness conference. And so unfortunately we lost it last year and this year, huh, touch and go <laughs> in the nature of the, the world's events, but we'll reboot it next year. Worst case scenario and bring in, you know, some of the highlights of the Canadian fitness industry, like Dean himself, like a Lee Boyce, like a Brian Cron, a Sam Spinelli. And uh, hopefully like Christian Thibodeau was supposed to be part of the lineup last year, as was John Goodman, but I'll have to re revisit it when we get there. Yeah, so it's been a lot of fun to do all those extra things on top of just coaching clients in person. But my main role is still full-time coaching. Yeah, I love it. I think one of the things that I really want to talk to you right off the top, and it was in relation to a post that you posted earlier today about getting off the sidelines. And ah. you know th that really struck me at, You know, on a personal level. Today is my one-year anniversary of getting off the sidelines and you know starting to post on Instagram. And for someone like yourself, you haven't been at the whole fitness thing, putting yourself out there for that long, relatively, right? But look at all of the things that you've been able to do in you know a more or less straight, uh, shorter amount of time. You haven't been at this since you were eighteen, maybe is a you know a more accurate way to to describe it. Only that post is something that I feel quite passionately about. I have a presentation to do in um, Spokane and August sixth and seventh. It's my friend Tim's. Inland Empire Fitness Conference, a smaller event. People like James Krieger will be the, you know, the headline presenter there, Brad Dieter, and um, many others. And so he asked me to fill in for Greg Knuckles, who could make it. So I'm like, sure, why not? And it's my presentation will be rooted in this. It's going to be about a, a bunch of the lies that we tell ourselves as to why we're not creating and why we're not sharing. And there's a whole bunch of it. And I don't want to necessarily like read, I, I have an article on the same topic and like list it off, but I think trainers and coaches are really good at being frustrated at the influencers, the quacks, the charlatans. I use all these words in my post today. The people who are sharing the information that we disagree with, that is demonstrably false, potentially even dangerous. You know, you can you hear coaches complain about Gary Tobes and his low carb stuff, or sometimes maybe they're even complaining about Joe Rogan promoting that stuff on his podcast. Or they're certainly zeroed in on Vani Hari, the food babe, if anyone's familiar with her, or if it's Joseph Mercola, this guy sells tanning beds to help prevent skin cancer. He got <laughs> he got slapped for that one by I think whatever American governing body dealt with that stuff. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of Dr. Jason Fung and you know obesity code. 
we have a lot of people or, or just straight up influencers, your kino bodies or, or V shreds or whatever. Well, there's an appetite for this stuff in the general population. The general population wants quick fixes and simple solutions to complex problems. They want to lose the weight fast and all of it without fundamentally grabbing onto the fact that it took them years to gain all that weight in the first place. And it can be really frustrating as a fitness professional to see these people with very large audiences and big platforms sharing bad info. But what does complaining about it accomplish? Yeah, basically nothing. Nothing. So the only choice is to put yourself in the ring and do a much better job of taking all that accumulated experience, all that accumulated wisdom and share it and get it in front of more people and get way, 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 way fucking better at crafting a message in a brand and, a, and your media to reach more people. I find that I recently was on a podcast and it was a debate about regulation in the fitness industry. And we occasionally get people who call for regulation. It ties into this. And I think the naive false notion is that somehow regulation is going to make the Instagram influencers go away. The people who are saying that keto is the answer. Everything. These people don't have fucking certifications to begin with, right? Um, they are not going to go away because, you know, we increase the standard and the amount of information or the, the length of time you have to spend getting certifications or, or whatever formal education you will get to be a personal trader. Those people don't have those credentials anyway. And forcing tougher standards won't make them suddenly vanish. I mean, the only thing that really is going to do it is a slippery slope of, you know, censoring what gets put onto media. We have Pinterest now banning, you know, ads surrounding, surrounding weight loss. And I think that's a tricky, slippery slope where, at what point do we not get to even share information that will help people safely lose weight and become healthier? Right? We have a we have a goofy narrative in the in the in the social media media you know atmosphere about this stuff, and you have these anti diet sort of ideologies and and body positivity. and And while I think there's some good things in there, there's also some extremism that gets carried away and way out of hand. At the end of the day. You know, as our society gets unhealthier and obesity is a, a larger and larger issue, what, what does that lead to long term? You know, bad health outcomes. So we can complain about it. We can sit on the sidelines and be frustrated because there are people out there sharing misinformation. Or you can work very hard at building a platform and reaching more people, get better at the way you write get better at shaping media so that's engaging to where you build a following. And with that following comes a lot of really cool stuff. It's very early in 2020, you know, what, a year and a half ago, I finally said, okay, it's time to, you know, be a little more consistent and applied with, with Instagram. And at that point I had about 3000 followers, you know, a lot of professional contacts, personal contacts, whatnot. And it's on the doorstep of 20,000 right now and growing at a steady pace. And that will continue to grow just because of the way I've been approaching it. And I think that's the best thing you can do is go out and write, share, create, you know, you started a podcast, like you said, that's just one of the things that we have options for doing. Go create a YouTube channel, learn YouTube inside out, upside down to where you're doing a good job. I always point to people like Jordan Syatt or Sohi Lee or Dr. Spencer Nadolsky or any number of well-known, reputable, evidence-based people in the fitness space. And a lot of trainers probably look at, well, like I can never be like Jordan. Well, Jordan was like you once upon a time. It's just Jordan put his head down and started writing stuff when he was in university. And he went and got internships at places like Westside Barbell as a teenager and Cressy Sports Performance and just kept applying himself to the point where he's in his early 30s now. And he is probably, in terms of what I consider to be the quote, reputable side corner of the fitness industry one of the most successful and followed and well-known personalities in our space. Sure. It helped that he trained Gary Vaynerchuk along the way. Who's, you know, I hope everybody kind of knows who Gary V is, but Jordan just went out and worked hard at it. And he's also been teaching other people how to do it too. So, you know, just had him on my podcast. Great guy. I think everybody should be plugged into what he's doing instead of just being frustrated about what's wrong with the world and complaining about it and putting a lot of, 
negativity and enragement out on a social media, which people are just going to tune out anyway, because they don't want to see that negative bullshit. And then they're going to go and they're going to go follow kind of body and listen to his crap. I totally agree. I mean, I think Jordan is probably one of the He's probably one of the few people who have kind of really mastered that that marketing angle with giving like, you know, legit good advice. And the more of us who can sort of tap into that, because we can do that if we find someone and maybe that means uh, we need to get a coach, hire someone to do our marketing for us in a in a proper way to to be able to spread, you know, the good message and continue to spread it. But, you know, going on and on and complaining about others, like it's just not going to help anyone. I, I never even heard of Vshred personally until i saw reputable people you know shitting on him or or that company right and so you know maybe the the super sneaky marketing angle is you know make a video talking poorly about them because that will get clicks for you and you know maybe that maybe that works to some extent i'm not sure but but you know you're you're not really adding any more help you're just kind of fueling the fire you're not giving helpful information by spending an hour or 3 hours or 10 hours of your valuable time putting this person down there are some smart people, successful people in our industry who do make it part of their brand to debunk and make a light of the problem people. Uh, Dr. Lane Norton has been doing this stuff for years. Lane's mm-hmm. a bombastic personality for sure. He's not for everybody. Very evidence-based. I've met him. Great guy. Um, you know, I've learned a lot from him from his educational resources because he puts out a lot of resources, right? So he's he's got a you know, he's got two feet in the ring and he's built a really big following and he's grown a very well-known reputation and brand. Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, same thing. He'll take the piss out of some of these people in the industry while sharing a lot of helpful information that that helps people, especially when it comes to weight loss. He's one of the best. Or my buddy, Tom Robertson. You know, again, he likes poking fun at these sort of people, but Tom's sharing a lot of good info too. If you're going to make part of your brand screwing around with these people, then you'd better be bringing a lot of valuable information to the table as well. You can highlight what they're doing and then debunk it. That's fine. I think debunking myths and misinformation can be really good. But there are a lot of people out there who just simply are complaining about the idiots. The newest moron on the on the scene is this Jeff Juice's clown. I don't know. He's this sickly looking little fruitarian. I think that's all he does. I don't know if anybody remembers Freely the Banana Girl. Remember her? She was a thing back in YouTube several years ago. I don't know if she's still around or not. And all she would do, she would eat fruit. She was a fruitarian. I mean, it's bad. It's bad enough to blindly become a vegetarian thinking that it's the health. Sorry, there's something going on in my background thinking it's it's healthy on its own terms. No, it could be healthier than whatever you're doing before. You probably need to shore up your nutrition, your, you know, vitamins and minerals with stuff that's otherwise not in, in a, you know, a, a vegan diet, certainly but to restrict it even further down into just fruit, not even vegetables. And so this jackass, and I use that word deliberately, is claiming that you can cure cancer by drinking his fruit smoothies that he promotes. Wow. Okay, this guy, this fucker is a dangerous bastard. So, I, yeah. you know, there is probably, it is probably important that we defeat this kind of nonsense, but we should also be working very, very hard and sharing better information. So that way, you know, people, are following us find their way to us so that when they find this clown they're kind of going all right this, this is this person's a muppet this is bullshit versus going oh shit this is great information i i'm going to follow this person and listen to everything they say and again i think there are always going to be extreme people who will be drawn to nonsense we can't change that you can't legislate it you can't regulate it you can't censor it out people will be drawn to these crazy people fine but we can probably help more people than general population who are vulnerable if we do a way better job of building brand and media. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, regulating it sort of thing is not really going to, it might make a short term difference, but in the long term, like those of us who are good, we're going to make it and we're going to be here 10, 15, 20 years from now. Something that I often think about is, you know, all of the social media influencer, YouTube, Instagram, all of the, all the channels, you know, they, it hasn't been around that long. So we don't really know what the life cycle of one of these influencer type people are because they just haven't we haven't seen anyone go through it yet. It hasn't been enough time passed. So what happens when, you know, that that influencer loses that incredible body that they have? Does their brand go away? You know, maybe we saw, you know, Lane Norton, who you just mentioned, he put a post up, I think it was last week, and it was, you know, a good post, but he was talking about how much his business has increased since he got super lean again. 
and you know lane is someone who's incredibly knowledgeable and not like an influencer definitely one of the good guys one of the best guys out there but even that his business you know improved because he got leaner and so what happens to these people who don't have the actual background knowledge when they don't have that model body anymore and we just don't know what that's like so i think that being on the good side having good actual information that's going to last you know 5 10 20 30 years we raise a good point you know about what lane had said and there's a wisdom in that our industry corners of our industry can be a bit nasty about this and other corners can be a bit naive and touchy about you know do trainers need need to be in shape and I find a lot of the stuff when, when trainers talk about this, it's kind of low-hanging fruit. They're trying to just trying to pick an ideological camp. I approach it like this. If you are in the fitness industry and you are struggling to be busy, and you are also visibly not in shape, the people that we are working with, we're trying to market ourselves to, it's human nature to be judgmental. Okay. I really would love it if we were less judgmental. And I share a lot of media that tries to get people to approach people in situations with less judgment, right? Just don't make a lot of assumptions about what's going on, but we have to apply human nature here. If you want to be busier, one of the best things you can do to help your career and your brand is to get yourself in visibly better shape, work at it. I think that any fitness professional has a duty of care to work on their own physical health. And if, if we, again, these are vague terms, but if you're visibly out of shape, you don't have a lot of credibility to turn around and tell someone who you're trying to say, you know, you need to make some changes to your lifestyle. You need to make time. You need to, you know, make a few little sacrifices in order to change your life when you're not applying that same standard. You know, it, it sort of destroys your credibility on that front a little bit. Yes, there are going to be situations and circumstances where we have really brilliant fitness professionals that don't necessarily look like, you know, Lane when he's most shredded or, you know, any number of the other more, more jacked and lean individuals. And then the counterpoint obviously is, is that a lot of these, you know, competitive bodybuilder types who don't have any education in this realm at all, they go out, they do a competition. Again, it's sort of a low hanging fruit piece of rhetoric. Oh, now all of a sudden they're doing coaching. Okay, well, you know, if we're going to complain about that, well, we're not entitled to the people that they're coaching. You need to do a much better job of putting yourself out there. And maybe part of that is to look the part. And if it's blunt, okay, it is. Uh, again, don't go casting judgment at fitness professionals who may not look shredded. I don't think everybody needs to be shredded. If you're someone who is on a journey, showcase the journey. If you've lost 50 pounds and have 50 more to go, you have a lot of education and you can help people, make sure that your media showcases how much you've already lost and that you've accomplished this. That is going to make you very relatable and endearing to other people who want to follow that same journey. As long as you're going in the right direction and people can see it. Yeah, I think looking the part is certainly, it's important. And I don't think there's a, there's a real good rebuttal to that. <laughs> I mean, you need to be able to practice what you preach and people will buy in if, you, if they can see that you are actively doing the things that you are coaching and preaching and talking about, right? And, and like you said as well, just human nature, it's very natural. I remember in my first year of university, we had a guest lecture from one of the professors and you know she was an, a little bit older lady, not in great shape, and she was talking about fitness and health and whatever. And I just you know totally wrote her off. I said, I remember saying to my buddy, like, who is this? You know, what's this lady going to teach us? You know, now... In the in if that was the social media, I would have you know never followed her, would have never listened to her again. But you know, I had to take her classes. Turns out she was one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met, and you know, I had to, I was forced to you know listen to her because of the classes, and I'm so thankful that that happened. But I I wrote her off, and I'm and I'm okay saying that uh, because it's just it was just natural human nature, and you know, sure I was a young kid, you know, <laughs> egotistical as I was at the time, but that's just that's just the way we are, and so you've got to do your part as a, as a fitness professional to put yourself out there to get people to listen to what you have to say. Absolutely. And, and to what you just said, we can ourselves try to be more thoughtful and open-minded about these sort of things while doing the best we can to unfortunately cater to the natural judgmental first impression that you know most people tend to apply. Uh, I had another thought there I want to carry on with. A lot of what we've talked about so far ties in with this fixed you know, mindset, this 
that's not even, this is not even fixed mindsets. It's an entitlement. People think they're entitled. They, they know training, they know nutrition, they, they know their stuff. But that entitles them to all the clients. And then you get people who are complaining about the influencers or the guy who's got six pack abs, no education, and is just selling bullshit programs online with a big following. We're not entitled to those clients. We have to work hard with the clients that are in front of us to earn referral business, positive word of mouth, change their lives, keep them as clients, build media if you choose to go that route and do such a good job of it that it brings more eyes and ears to you, continually share valuable knowledge to where people turn around and say, you're the person I want to talk to about coaching. You have to earn that every step of the way. We are not entitled to the people who are buying you know, into Dr. Oz's crap. I would very much like to reach and help a lot of those people, but I'm not entitled to them. I've got to earn it every step of the way. And if you approach everything in your career with the mindset that you're not entitled to shit, you have to go out and earn it and work hard for it. More, more likely than not, you're going to achieve some pretty darn good things. And all the people we've talked about, if you go in and plug into Lane Norton's story, Lane will, Lane will tell it more, you know, over and over through all his media. He likes doing that. Or Jordan Syatt. He will, you, there's the history behind everything he's done. And virtually anybody else who's in a similar space, you understand there's a work ethic and there's a will to to put themselves out there and a certain amount of fearlessness in the face of potential criticism. I don't think there's nearly as many people going to criticize us as we worry that they will, but it's a legitimate fear. A lot of people are afraid to, to put themselves out there for fear that either trolls will come at them or some authority within the industry is going to turn around and say, that's wrong. I have in all of my time in any, at any social media had one person who's that sort of a known presence in the industry who I'm connected to turn around and criticize something that I posted on social media to which two people with far better education than the first person came in and said, Nope, what I had shown in a video was actually correct. And just kind of refuted this other person. The other person was just making up nonsense and I knew it, but a couple of PhDs went and kind of backed me up. Sure. It can happen. But if that's really only happened to me once out of anybody, anybody's ever heard of, guess what? Eric Cressy's too busy running, you know, CSP, <laughs> raising his fucking kids and, you know, running, um, you know, the, the strength program for the New York Yankees to come in and go, well, what you just said there about rotator cuffs is wrong. Yeah. Eric doesn't care. He's not worried. Yeah. And at the, at the point where you're getting the attention of Eric Cressy or Lane Norton to come and, you know, crap on your stuff, you've probably done a good job of getting yourself out there. So you've likely done something right up until that point, if you've got that big. Totally. Absolutely. But courting their attention, ah, you know, it's not a good thing to try to focus on. I've met a lot of these people through my travels, gone to their speaking engagements, had them on the podcast to where I have a lot of these people on my social media. So and, and if anything, the ones that do engage, engage in a very positive and supportive way. So that's super cool. But the people you should probably be focused on engaging with are the people on the same journey you're on. Coaches with, you know, similar numbers of following, similar amounts of experience, similar goals and ambitions in the industry. And those are the people that, you know, you never know who's going to break through and helps you along the way or who, how you can help them on their journey, right? It, it's, it's growth mindset. It's abundance mindset. It's, you know, people who approach the industry with a zero-sum game mentality and never share anybody else's work for fear that, oh, one of my clients is going to go follow him and I'll lose a client. One of my... A, a, an old friend of mine, we used to work together before I was even a trainer at a different job, came to train with me part of the way through. His goal is to lose some weight. And through listening to my podcast and my media, he came on to both Jordan Syatt and Carter Good. And at a certain point, he turned around and he went and got some coaching online with both of them at different junctures. Well, not too long ago, he re recently came back around, has been training with me pretty, pretty steadily, and he really enjoys the in-person experience. And I'm the person who created that access to these other resources that he found. But at the end of the day, he, he returned to the fold and wanted to work exclusively with me. Super cool. Yeah. But I was happy to see him doing well. I, I wasn't like, oh, shit, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And now all of a sudden I've lost a client over it. That's stupid thinking. Yeah, I, I think I really agree with what you're saying. And I heard this one concept, I believe Mike Vacanti said this, and it was something like, you know, 
there are 8 billion people in the world or whatever. And, you know, X number of those people have, you know, access to internet. Um, all of those people have a body. They all have muscles and body fat to lose and change. And so in theory, potentially every single one of those people is your client, right? And now, obviously, you know, you're not going to have 8 billion clients, but, you know, the numbers, you don't need thousands and, and millions of clients, you know, for your coaching. So there is no shortage of people out there who are looking for coaching and someone might, you know, train with you for a little while, train with me, train with someone else. And so they're going to kind of bounce around. And it's very unlikely that one client sticks with one coach for, for the eternity of their training career, right? So I think having this, this abundance mindset for sure of like, you know, there's plenty plenty of clients out there, plenty of business out there, plenty of work to be done. So long as you keep doing the good things, you know, every client that I lose to, you know, X bigger account, I'm going to gain one from someone else's account as well. Totally. You need 30 to 40 clients to have a profoundly successful business and career to sustain that number out of all the people in the world. That's all you need. The numbers, right. the numbers are, are very favorable in that sense when you really break it down and think about it. And if you can't, on a consistent basis, sustain that and attract that number of people to work with, and that's to get a full-time schedule, and you're spending a lot of your time arguing on social media, complaining about all these other people, maybe you should reallocate that time to doing stuff that's going to help grow your business yeah. right? and not complain about the stuff that's beyond your control. Yeah. I can't control kind of body. I can't control V shred. I don't care to. Yeah, I agree. I focus on me. I I think one other or or one other thought that I have on these you know influencer type people with you know big marketing machines behind them. I I like to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are overwhelmingly trying to do good in the world and and you know deliver their fitness programs. Whether their main focus is money, you know, there's there's some gray area here for sure. However, if they're selling a fitness program based on broken promises or, or extreme promises, there's a little bit of there that's problematic, I think. And I think that, you know, every, anyone would agree on that. But if they're getting butts off the couch and in the gym, I think that that's still a good thing. What do you think about that? I think that logic applies very well to things like CrossFit. You know, our industry likes to criticize CrossFit, but CrossFit overwhelmingly has the intention of getting people healthier. Yeah. That's demonstrably, you know, accurate. We could, we like to criticize some of their training methodologies. Sure. Okay. You know, and, and it takes on a bit of its, its own cult-like mentality, but we also tend to deem things that we don't like more cult-like if we, if we don't approve of them yet, foster our own tribal identity around things that we do approve. So should watch out for that kind of thinking. But CrossFit is a great example of what you just described, getting you know feet in gyms, barbells in hands. And a lot of people either excel with CrossFit or they find their way onto other modalities that suit them better. And sure, you know, it's got a reputation for creating injuries. Well, if you've ever been around powerlifters, they're always broken. Yeah, yeah. Or bodybuilders, they they get hurt all the time too, or or other types of athletes. So do I think that CrossFit is extra special for creating injuries? I'm, I'm not so sold on that idea. You know, I think it's a net positive. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about is a net positive. When I look at most of the people that we would call influencers, um, I think they're net negatives, right? Because for all the people that they might motivate, they're probably more likely to leave a lot of frustrated consumers, you know, your, your V shreds and kind of bodies, the people who it's it's straight up aesthetic stuff, misinformation. Not only are they taking people for a ride and not delivering on their promises, but their presence also probably has a discouraging effect on a larger part of the population. Now, I still don't believe in censoring it or policing it. I, I can't. I'm, I'm, I believe in freedom of expression. We still have to do a better job. It, it, when we complain about the things that we can't control, we're focusing away, like that's you know an external locus of control. Focus inward. What can you do to be better? But I still see you know, those people as being a problem. This is the argument you get with someone like Dr. Jason Fung. He might be a good example. It's a gray area. You know, if the guy is getting a lot of people to turn around and eat better and be healthier, okay. You could even say, you know, he's got honorable intentions. Well, he's blatantly misrepresenting the science and the facts of it. Just because the guy's a doctor 
doesn't make him credible. He's a nephrologist. That's a kidney specialist. Kidneys, your average general practitioner has, if I'm not mistaken, a very small amount of nutritional sciences education in their formal program. That doesn't mean no doctors know shit about nutrition. Some of them take it upon themselves to be very well educated, but it doesn't guarantee that you're actually an expert in, um, I, I can't ever remember the names of all these logical fallacies, but you know, I don't know it's appeal to authority. Maybe I've got that one wrong. Just because someone has a doctor next to their name does not qualify them to be a, you know, an authority on anything else. If anybody remembers carb backloading, and I, I try to remember it was Kiefer, I think, who wrote it. This guy was an astrophysicist turned nutritional guru who published a book on that <laughs> front. I was talking out his ass. He didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. It was complete yeah. nutritional nonsense. So, but just because, oh, he's smart. He must be really, really good at this sort of thing. Yes, there is a danger in having these people running loose, selling books, you know, that get published to the masses with problem information. It contributes to yo-yo dieting and extreme behaviors that don't help shape regular everyday habits or keep people in the gym. So I don't think it's a particularly strong argument to say, well, they're trying to help. They're getting people healthier. If anything, someone who's promoting, uh, you know, fasting like Jason Fung is, Dr. Fung, or some of the other more fad-like behaviors in, in dieting. Well, we know that fad dieting and yo-yo dieting is a problem, right? You know, and people don't celebrate the hell out of Oprah for a lot of good stuff, but Oprah herself has been a grand example of, I, I think she's knocked this crap off in recent years, but for a long time, she would highlight her own yo-yo dieting you know, life and also promote and showcase a lot of these extreme fad like diets anyway. So has that been a net benefit to her following or, an, or a net negative? She's been encouraging a lot of people to do things that ultimately became yo-yo dieting. What do we know about yo-yo extreme dieting in the long run? People who repeatedly go through this cycle, well, A, they don't establish healthy behaviors or habits or healthy relationships with their nutrition. And their metabolic rates often suffer long-term where it makes it very difficult to lose weight because they've lost a lot of lean body mass and they have this very broken relationship with nutrition. So their long-term outcomes can really struggle. So I think when exposed to enough of that stuff from people who we might like to think are trying to help people, I think that's still a big net negative. It still falls on us to be get ourselves out in that space to where we're sharing better information so that the general populace is getting access to better physical activity, strength training, nutrition information. Right. Right. So, so someone, oh, go ahead. You you first. No, I was just gonna say. So so let me expand on that and on that idea a little bit more. Is that, um, you know, it, there's still some danger in what they're doing in in the way that they're um, you know, portraying or selling things. And I guess maybe more what I was getting at originally was that if they're getting people in the realm of fitness and health. They're getting people from thinking zero to thinking a little bit. Now these people are in the arena, so to speak. They're going to you know, use so-and-so influencers program. They will find over time that it's just, you know, it's continuing their yo-yo dieting. Their relationship with food is worse. You know, they didn't get the result they were looking for, blah, blah, blah. But now they're in the arena and they can find the good people in this field. And that's, that's maybe more where I was thinking it because they have such a heavy marketing machine behind them that they can pull people from zero into health and fitness. Whereas, you know, the rest of us who don't have like, you know, a big marketing machine behind us, we don't really have that, that reach. Right. Well, again, you got to build that reach, right? Yeah. I think there are going to always be examples where that's true. I still am a little concerned on the aggregate, how many people we're able to catch in time and help versus how many people just get chewed up by the mainstream diet culture behavior. And again, when you hear people using language like diet culture, I always kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a red flag there because you get some of these, these, you know, these extremists that think that no one should ever diet and that it's extremely healthy to over time accumulate large amounts of body fat. And there's no relationship between your level of obesity, which has suddenly become a, an offensive term. Um, and, and I think some of the people perpetuating these ideas are well-intentioned. They're trying to spare people from emotional harm. But at the same time, that those good intentions are going to cause a lot of people to die earlier and 
and have serious decline of their quality of life long-term if they're being lied to about the relationship between, you know, poor lifestyle choices, um, you know, accumulating large amounts of body fat over time and your health. There is a very clear negative relationship between, you know, obesity and, uh, and long-term quality of life. It also means that we got to be careful about how we share that message because people already know this for the most part, outside the ones who are buying into the indoctrination and the lies, they know this. And if we're just throwing in their faces, while I don't think everything is fat shaming, we're not necessarily doing a very good job to motivate that person, empower that person to change. And if you make someone just feel worse and worse about it, they're just more likely to retreat and they're going to see the bad stuff in our industry and, uh, and, and they won't see a better outcome. So yeah. we've got to do a really good job of somehow facilitating a relationship and trust with those people to where they change their lives. They feel good about it and they get a better outcome. Yeah, totally agreed. And that's also part of the reason why I like this type of long form content, because it allows for the time, the space and the nuance to kind of get through the weeds on those things. If you're making a, you know, a 15 second reel on Instagram, there's just not enough time for the, for the conversation to be had to really, you know, tell the message that, you know, being, you know, 75 pounds overweight is not healthy, but you're still allowed to be happy. And, you know, you know, you need to be able to marry those things and, you know, your feelings are not your health and they're, you know, connected, but, but also separate. And so we need to be able to have these types of longer conversations, whether it be a, you know, podcast like this, a YouTube conversation, uh, you know, a blog article, you know, whatever type of long form content one, one likes. And I think that that's, you know, something that people would need to need to shift uh, more towards, and many people do a very good job of it. But f- for li- listeners and viewers and followers, they might not be invested in that yet. So it's the, it's the quick stuff that gets their attention. But on the contrary to that, in in your experience, because I know that you've shared about this a lot, it's often the simplest messages that get the most widespread. You know, it's we all kind of more or less know the things that we need to do. You need to eat healthier foods, more fruits and vegetables, good quality meats, and you know whatever, and exercise every day, and all these things. We know what we need to do. It's just about doing it. But it's the simple messages that sort of hit home a little bit more to, to spread far and wide. Absolutely. And people are worried that, well, it's all been said before. Okay, sure. But anytime I share a concept that's not overly original, although I work hard at crafting it in such a manner that the presentation is, is unique and resonates with people, my favorite comment is, oh, I needed this today. That yeah. tells me that it gave someone something at a really pivotal moment, kept them on track, gave them a little bit of a reminder. There's also new followers coming in all the time. So maybe that person is seeing it for the first time. And then we've talked about Jordan Syatt and Spencer Nadolsky and Sohi and people with very large followings. Not everybody that follows you follows those people. And I like to point this out. For a lot of people, you are the go-to fitness authority for them. You are their primary source, trusted source of nutrition and fitness information. And if you're not putting yourself out there, putting your accumulated experience and wisdom out into the space where they can see it, you're failing to serve those people and help those people out. And we also have social media algorithms that do not show every single person, every one of your posts. And we also have people that the first time you post on a particular concept, they weren't in a headspace where they were ready to hear it. Maybe six months later, all of a sudden, the timing is just right. And they're like, yeah, I need to make some changes. I was th- I've been thinking about this. And they send you a message. They start wanting to talk about coaching. So there are a lot of good reasons to continue on, even with fairly straightforward and basic information. Yeah, I've come to terms with this myself and sort of kind of repeating in different words content and messaging. And, and I think of it as the way that I use social media myself. Every time that I open Instagram to scroll, I'm not going there necessarily to learn something. Sometimes I'm just going there to shut my brain off and I just want to zone out. And so I might see a post by someone who, you know, it's super informative, very well done, but it's like, I'm just not in the right headspace to like take in this information right now. And so, you know, you have to imagine that many other people are also like that. So while I might spend, you know, tons of time on a, on a certain post or an article or something, you know, when they see that, they might not be ready to receive that at that time. So, you know, you keep doing the messaging and keep putting it up. One thing that I wanted to kind of ask you about, you know, in relation to this was, 
imposter syndrome. We all kind of deal with this to a degree, to varying degrees. I know I certainly did. It's like, well, you know, why would I post anything? There's so many other great people out there. You know, they should just, you know, they're much more intelligent than I am. People should just listen to them. I'm nothing compared to those people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know everything. I know a lot of things. I'm, I'm continuing to learn and everything, but I'm not at that, you know, top of the top of the field. How did you deal with this? And, and how do you continue to deal with this if you do at all? I think I trust people more who've experienced imposter syndrome because it tells me that they actually really care about doing a good job. Someone who claims, oh, I've never felt imposter syndrome or has a little too much confidence. You know, that is a little more unnerving. I think it's also important to remember, and I hope I answer your question. I'll try to circle back to it. When we see the polished and the successful people in our industry, remember, they're very practiced. They've been doing this for a very long time. You're seeing their practiced presentation and you're comparing it against your every insecurity and concern about the the gaps in your knowledge and your lack of experience. So when you make that comparison, it's very easy to feel like, well, I'm not good enough to put information out there. If you've had success coaching people in person, you've shared nutrition ideas, helped them build habits, develop relationships, taught them physical movement, then you know enough to share your accumulated knowledge to that point. I think it helps to realize that if you're on an ever evolving quest to learn more, then you're going to get better and better and better at it. I don't have all the answers a decade in, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I'm very well aware of the accumulated knowledge and experience I have, but I read and study and learn as much as I can all the time about more in this space. But you reach a point where you just say, screw it. You know, I know enough to, put myself out there. And most people who are worried about this, they don't really have big followings anyway, at least not to start. So there's not necessarily a lot of eyes on you as you practice and you gain the experience that's necessary. And it also goes back to what I said before about recognizing that you still have people who you are their go-to resource. And if you remember that, it can make it a little bit easier to remember by failing to share your accumulated knowledge and wisdom, however limited you may feel, you are failing to help people who might be vulnerable to also seeing the message of some of the problem individuals, brands that we've talked about. And you're also failing to seize an opportunity to grow your brand and make your career more successful where, where you could reach and help more people. So sometimes you just have to push through it, remember these things, and just trust that if you study and work hard at it, it gets easier, it gets better. Um, otherwise, if you didn't feel confident that you had the skills and the ability to help people and change your lives, well, why are you even in this business anyway? I get it if you're on month two and month three and you're still learning, you're struggling, but you're, you're doing the best you can, that's one thing. But if you're three years deep and going, well, I don't know anything about nutrition, I can't, well, what, have, what the fuck have you been doing the last three <laughs> years, right? So. It, it, at a certain point, you just got to redirect people into going, well, look at what you do now. And then you realize, oh, yeah, I do know this. I've been helping people. And how often do you read something by, by someone who's got a bigger brand presence in the industry? Go, yeah, I knew that. I agree with that. How many people share something because they're like, yeah, I wish I wrote that because I knew that. Cool. Why aren't you writing it then? Because right. you are constantly like seeing stuff that the big names in our industry are putting out there and, and you're going, yeah, I agree with that. I know that then it just demonstrates that you actually do know a fair bit. Yeah. And then you just have to put your faith in the process and just keep doing it. Yeah. Part of part of it's just establishing a process where you keep sharing, keep creating and trust that it'll work out. Yeah. And I think keep keep genuinely learning as well, right? Don't ever think that you've kind of you've made it. I know everything. I don't need to learn anymore. I think if if you ever think that, then you know, you've lost and 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 you know, your career is going to head down very quickly at that point. I would also imagine that you know, these same ideas that you just shared are translatable to really any career. Like, I, I know I've never worked in a corporate job, but I don't imagine that, you know, the CEO, the president, or whatever of the company is always knows what they're talking about in the boardroom. Sometimes they're just making it up as they go. And, you know, someone who's, you know, the junior or whatever, you know, might think that, oh my God, that guy, or that girl is so smart. How can I ever get there? It's like, well, you just got to 
walk the walk or, or, you know, fake it till you make it a little bit until you can get there, but also, you know, work your ass off so that you can actually get to that level of knowledge and make it happen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's true of, of any industry. Ours is interesting and unique because we have such an opportunity and freedom to share information and knowledge. A lot of industries either there probably wouldn't be much benefit to even having a presence on social media. Anyone can hear the birds freaking out in the background outside. It's okay. Or certain prof- quote professional designations where there are very strict rules in their professional associations around the things you can and cannot say, um, you know, legal professions, dentists, what have you. But, uh, you know, I'm still sure there are lawyers and dentists who are on YouTube educating people in creative ways and and doing really well off it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, other industries might not be, it might not work to, to be on social media talking about whatever you talk about, but I'm sure it, within their industry, there is their opportunity to, you know, step up and say your piece in a room full of important people that might, you know, get your career to the to the next level that, you know, promotion, job opportunity, kind of whatever it is. And, and I think that's, you know, transitioning here a little bit, professional networking and something is something that you have talked about also a lot and seem to have done a lot of, and it's really launched your career. Is that something that you did like previous to fitness anyways? Were you always into that? Or did you just sort of hit the ground running with that when you got into it? I think in general, you're either the sort of person and you know, you're a gregarious outgoing person that naturally just meets people. I think that's kind of been true for a very long time. I've always, when you meet people socially, you know, I would add them to Facebook when that was kind of more prevalent than it is now. Um, and then I wrote on Facebook long before I started doing much with Instagram, would share video of my clients doing stuff, not thinking much of it, but I consistently had a presence there, which led to a lot of inquiries from people that sometimes would never comment or even like on stuff. And all of a sudden, yeah, I've been following your stuff. It's great. I want to talk to you about training. So when I started getting really serious about Instagram, like I said, I had about 3,000 followers at a certain point. And those were people I had met through my travels or knew professionally or knew personally through various different walks of life. So I started with a bit more of a base and was was able to apply my efforts then all of a sudden grow from there. When it came to networking within the industry, I never did it with, oh, I want to network. I need to get all these people on media, whatever. You meet people, you connect with them. It's something that happens organically. Like I said, if you go to a fitness conference and you there, there's kind of two types of people there, the people who are right there with you in the seats, you know, watching the people on stage who are trying to go in the same direction you are, pay attention to them, get to know them, have, you know, have them on social media. They're going to be some of your greatest supporters and, you know, support like minds along the way that you can tap into on the journey support for that, that quest. And then there's the presenters on the stage and some of those people, especially are going to have much more established brand names, reputations and followings, but treat them like people, right? They're normal down to earth, everyday people too, for the most part, every once in a while you get someone who's holds themselves up a little bit higher (laughs) in their own mind. But by and large, most of those people I've ever met are really pleasant, really engaging. And Often there are people who are just too afraid to even approach them because they feel like they're like bothering them or they're celebrities. Or if you're fanboying all over them, that's kind of awkward too. Just go up and shake a hand and say, listen, loved your presentation. You know, been following you a long time. Love what you're doing. Just just be super normal, polite, and what have you. And just through the either, happen to meet a lot of people that I've been reading on Teen Nation for years or listening to podcasts or, or whatever resources they have out there. And then funny enough, if you can work on your own brand to where you establish a reputation as having a successful well-known podcast or write for a major publication, I truly believe that the fact that I've written for Teen Nation for a few years now is a major stamp of approval that someone goes, oh, you, you're a Teen Nation writer. Cool. Right? So it makes you stand out a little more. So work hard on establishing those sort of things and go look at the websites that you're interested in. Look what they're, what are their, their, um, sorry, can't even think of the word right now, their, their process to submit anything that you might want to write, learn the skill of writing, get better at it. It's a valuable skill for everybody to tap into. Yeah, I think it's it's been an interesting lesson for me over the past year too, is you know realizing and learning that these larger public figures, 
in fitness, good, bad, or otherwise, are just regular people too. Even somebody who's got a million followers on Instagram. You know, a million followers is a lot of people, and that's a significant following. But in the grand scheme of the world, you know, again, 8 billion people, 1 million drop in the bucket. They're not some mega celebrity where they can't walk down the street for the most part, right? And and so, you know, realizing that, yeah, there are normal people, there are regular people who can write for Teen Nation, who can, anybody can, you know, make their own podcast, can start your own blog. Like, they are cool things to have that stamp of approval that you've, you know, written for X website or been on so-and-so's podcast or, you know, what have you. But regular people just do this you know they're people just like you and I they bleed red blood just like like just like all of us and and you know there's nothing stopping you from from doing that as well or from from anyone doing that as well and that's something that you know I continually remind myself of as I'm still kind of coming up in this and uh and it's really helped me just kind of wrap my head around that and meeting and interacting with more people like yourself even that you know this is not attainable or un- unattainable this is not impossible to to access uh people you know above you ahead of you you know what have you right Something else that's worth remembering too, that it can diffuse some of the intimidation factor with people with larger followings. A lot of people with larger followings, especially in fitness, though not very often amongst what I call the reputable side, they buy their followers. It's fake. And it's not hard to tell when someone with 15,000 followers, 50,000 followers is getting three to four comments per post. Yeah. Right? Every once in a while, one post just doesn't get much. But if you go through it and there's just no engagement and it just something just doesn't smell right, or they, you know, if you have likes enabled, you can see that why is this person with 40,000 followers getting, you know, 58 likes on a post? Yeah. There's a problem here. Yeah. And all too often, what I've noticed is people who are mostly rooted in like it's it's photos of abs and muscles and you know, fitness competitor side of stuff, and they've got a substantial following. If you look at the metrics, you'll see, wait a second. They're not getting much engagement here. And that's a red flag. It just, and you know what? It's also like, you know, ooh, who's natural versus not natural. Don't give too much of a shit about it, but just recognize that if you're feeling inadequate because, hey, I've had, I've struggled to build my following, then you're seeing these other people like, oh, how they build their following. Guess what? Some of them bought it, yeah. right? Part of the, it's, it's not why, but I've been enjoying like showcasing the gradual but steady growth of my following this entire time. And people can see the level of engagement and how much things are shared and, and whatnot from my media. So I'm trying to leave a path, a framework to show people here is how you can actually organically grow a following and get real people in front of you and all the good that can come of it. Here is how to do it. So don't be discouraged. and Don't just decide, well, I'm not one of these people that could do this and just complain about the shit beyond your control. You can go out there and do it. It's challenging. It took a while for sure, but there's a roadmap there. Yeah. But also, and, don't be fooled in thinking that everybody has these massive followings with ease. Uh, no, a lot of those people bought those followings. Yeah, and since Instagram just recently changed their thing where they're showing uh, like counts now on posts, I think that a lot of this is going to because is going to get exposed. Because for the longest time, you couldn't see like counts anymore, and now you can. But people can choose to hide it still, and you know whatever. But no, you see every now and then an account with you know three four hundred thousand followers and they're getting, you know, 30 likes, 40 likes. And it's like, well, hold on a second. I've got 30, you know, I've got a thousand followers and I'm getting 30 likes. Like, you know, what's, what's happening here? This is, this is something, something's missing. Something's fishy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you kind of uh, maybe last question here, but in terms of building your following, you don't really, excuse me. Well, in terms of building your following, you don't really take many clients online. I know you have a couple of clients online, but it's not something that you're actively always searching for. You're not one of those, oh, I'm signing up five people for the last time ever, every week. Um, aside from kind of putting your name out there, getting off the sidelines, so to speak, what are your real or more like business intentions with building the following? You don't always have to know what your end game is with this stuff. It's good to have a purpose with it. I think the larger region following has its advantages. It does lead to inquiries about in-person coaching. I keep a very full schedule when it comes to in-person coaching, and I have for many years, which limits the added time I have to train online clients. I try to keep my online clientele roster at about 10 or less, which is more than enough that I can put a lot of effort into each person and do a really good job, right? I need to keep time to do a weekly podcast, to write uh, for the various publications that I write for and get something to them on at least a semi-regular level. 
and then still have room to you know, get this presentation together that I'm working on or make sure that, you know, when we boot up the conference that that goes well and still have a bit of a life on top of it. So there are going to be limits to just the amount of time I can apply to all this. But, and then I have a small mentorship that I run as well. I have no ambitions of all of a sudden I wanted to give up training people and just do nothing but mentorship all the time. I have a small group of trainers that I work with. Again, I try to keep it a little bit under 10, you know, all over the world and coach them on their, you know, their businesses, their brands or media and whatnot. I would like to put myself in a position where I have options, where as opportunities arise that I can't yet anticipate, maybe somebody rolls up and in my, you know, an email from something very reputable and says, we want to work with you on this, or we want you to write for us or God only knows, because you get a lot of bullshit ones. I had one the other day. It's like, Hey, we want to talk to you about like developing a TV show. I'm like, hmm, this, this looks kind of weird. And I'm not sure I'd be the person for TV, but I yet do not know where this could possibly take me. I'm just putting myself in a position where I can reach and help the most people possible. I enjoy it. I'm fulfilled by it. I find the process fun. So it's a recreation in a way for me too. So it's not like I'm like, oh, every waking moment is thinking about this and it's a means to an end. And once I finally reach this point, I can retire. I'll be coaching, you know, until I get super fucking old. Right. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to be a juncture where I decide, yeah, I don't want to work on the floor as much, or maybe just physically as I get a little bit older that, you know, it's it just as harder to keep up the energy for it. Well, then I have such a footprint in the online space and a brand and reputation that I can turn around and go, all right, I want to pivot more into this space. And I have the, the access to people to support it. Or if I decide someday that, you know, I'm going to develop more formal educational stuff the way that, you know, something like a Dean Somerset or Tony Janelcore, they, they develop these info products and, and solve them. Okay. It puts me in a position where I built up the email list and I built up enough of an engaged following that if I decide I want to market credible products like that, I could have a get off to a better start. So it's just putting myself in a position to take advantage of great opportunities when those opportunities arise. Yeah, I think that that's a great, a great reason to do so. And kind of what I was expecting that you were going to say, you know, having options is is always good. And just to sort of maybe relate this all back to to one's fitness, this has been very fitness business focused, which is great. But to relate this back to one's fitness, you know, having being fit and being strong and being healthy gives you options to do things in your life. If you can't go for a walk, if you can't play with your kids, if you can't, you know go to the gym, play hockey with your buddies for fun if, because your body's not able to do that, <clears throat> you're missing out on life. And so, you know, you owe it to yourself to get fit, get in shape, to give yourself options, to be able to put yourself out there to do whatever it is that you want to do in your life. And I think that that's really the, you know, if you can take anything from this, if you're not a fitness professional, like that's what you should take from this entire conversation. Totally. You know, the best things, most of the good things that have ever come out of my life are because I got very serious about the gym and applied myself, my own physical health, my emotional well-being, now a career. And a lot of like the closest relationships I have in my life are people I've met in gyms or, you know, started out as clients first. It has enriched my life in ways I could never have imagined. So I can't, can't encourage people enough to get started and do something here. And then encourage more coaches, the caring integrity-based coaches who know a lot to put themselves out more into the grander either. So that way you're helping more people. If I can set a great example and lead by that example and more people are interested in following, I can affect more people. And I don't care about, you know, trickling down to income. I do very well on that front anyway with, with my own business. I'm not worried about trying to directly monetize that at this point. I just genuinely want to see our industry thrive and do better and break down some of the, just this, crappy entitled attitudes, lazy mentalities that we sometimes see where people just would rather complain and, and so negative energy than to be a part of the solution. Yeah. And, and more positive energy is always good. I've said this on the podcast before, and I, and I believe you've spoke about this as well as like, let's approach things from a positive standpoint. Talk about, you know, instead of focusing on 
losing fat, losing, losing, losing. What about building strength? What about gaining, you know, improving your fitness? What about improving your mobility or, you know, whatever it is, if we can approach things from a, from a positive standpoint, I think that that just goes a lot longer in the whole psychological milieu of, of all of this, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, Andrew, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, what do you have coming up that you want to tell people about in the short to medium future? Well, if you are so inclined and you like what we talked about here, uh, just follow my Instagram because that's where you know I put everything uh, at Andrew Coates Fitness, C-O-A-T-E-S. Uh, the next thing that's probably going to be of sub- substance is again, uh, the conference is speaking gig at the Inland Empire Fitness Conference in Spokane, August 5th and si- sorry, 6th and 7th, where if you want to really grow your career, just going out to these kind of things and meeting people and being inspired by the people that you surround yourself with can go a long way. I, I really got serious about this in 2017. It did a lot for me. And a lot of what we've talked about today is spawned from those earlier experiences. So that's really the big one. And then I will periodically have something published on various different websites, but I'll, I'll share that all of my media. Uh, the podcast is is pretty much weekly. Every once in a while, I get a little bit behind. I have uh, you know, a call with uh, Ben Mudge in the morning to get my week's one up. Usually it's supposed to be available Tuesday morning, just a little bit behind because we had to reschedule it. But you can find anything I'm doing there. And if you are genuinely interested, shoot me a message. I respond to everything. I'll answer questions. I I always value anyone who's willing to spend the time to engage with me. I'll always make the time to engage back. I promise. And I can certainly attest that every time I've ever sent Andrew a message, he's always responded. Uh, You know, if I share a post, he always responds and says, thank you. So that's definitely a big thing and encouraging. You know, sometimes, you know, other accounts don't, don't say thank you. And, you know, that's okay. That's fine. But, um, you know, Andrew is very good for that. He's a great follow. If you're not following him already, you definitely should. I'll put all that stuff um, in the show notes as well if you, if you weren't taking notes. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave the people with here? Well, I appreciate anybody who made it the end of this, this podcast episode. I appreciate the fact you stuck around and were interested enough in what we had to say to, to stay and entertain it. So thank you. Yes, and thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate you all always. Uh, I'll put this podcast out probably, uh, probably two weeks or probably one week from now or so. But I'll let you know anyways, and I'll blast this out. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this, you already heard it, so <laughs> that's it. Follow me on Instagram as well at Daniel Yoris. Uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes and the podcast. That goes a long way. You know, that's like a hard thing to get uh, to, to get done, but you know, it helps a lot. Um, that's it. I appreciate you all. Uh, we'll chat soon. Take it easy, everybody.